We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. And you are now on the Santa Hale Podcast. Podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Willie. It's good to see you, my friend. <laughs> I don't believe you. I haven't seen you for a couple minutes. Yeah? Yeah. It's been a sec. That's okay. We keep talking about how we're winding down. Yeah. Here. What does that mean for those who, who are tuning into this very first episode? What are we talking well, about? We have been in the studio for a year and a half, two years. Two years. 130 plus episodes mm-hmm. in this studio, mm-hmm. and we are going to be in a new studio very soon. That's right. So we are numbering the, the amount of episodes shot here, and uh, and soon we'll be in a new space. We're excited for all the changes we have coming, and we hope that you will continue with us on this journey. It shouldn't be too much of a hiccup. Yeah, it should be fine. We're excited. So. Um, but uh, now that that shit's out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about the real important yeah. stuff, man. we yeah. got a, a great show today, um, a really great war story from uh, from a local dude. Yeah, we have some great people in our community. We really do. Yeah, it was it was such a good reminder when I listened to James's story, just uh, just how much good recovery is here and, and, and how insane. Oh the, man, this yeah. little area is. Yep, yep. <laughs> some heavy drug and alcohol use around here, man. B- bitches around here are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some of the crazier stories we've got have been from local people. It's amazing, man. Yeah, I love it. Um. So you guys are going to get to hear James's story, and one of the things that he talked about uh, that I think is uh, is worth discussing today is knowing when it's time. Knowing when it's time for what? Time to be done. Yeah. Time time to just do the hard shit. He knew it was time. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, in his story, uh, he had a lot of in and out. It was a roller coaster for him for quite a while. Yeah. You know? um, and, uh, and, and myself, you know, I had a lot of moments, a lot of... Uh, self attempts to quit and a lot of, you know, moments where I was, I had high resolve yeah. to be done. Were, were you attempting to quit or were you attempting to moderate? Like, like what? There was definitely a, at least a few times, but here's the thing. Like in my, in my case specifically, like I was always attempting to quit one or the other, Oh, okay. but never like all of it. Right. Yeah. Like my, my things were pills and alcohol and I kept, at different times, like deciding that it was the pills that were the problem. No, it's the alcohol right. that's the problem or it's the weed that's the problem. And so I would, you know, quit one or the other, but yeah. I would never fully cut out everything. Yeah. How about you? Uh, I, I don't, I don't think I had a, a, a strong resolve to quit until way later in life. I think mine was, was more trying to moderate mm-hmm. or establish the perfect buzz. Like, sure. Like I, I remember having this, um, this dream like, and not like sleeping dream, like a lifelong goal. Yeah. <laughs> dream type dream to 
have kind of like Martin Luther King, how he had a dream. No, nothing like that. Like he had good ideas, man. I was an idiot. Yeah, but I was you forecasting <laughs> your own, yeah, your own I, prophecy. I just I wanted to I wanted to to calculate the perfect buzz for the day. Where, sure, where I could start my morning with a cup of coffee and some whiskey, and then take a couple pills, move into the light bulb or glass dick, right and get high enough to maintain my day, maybe smoke some weed at lunch, take a couple more pills, move into the evening where the buzz, you know, we're in the nighttime we would take more like exotic drugs like ecstasy or LSD or mushrooms or something for the evening, you know, something to kind of get it along with some Spanish fly. And like, like I, I, I remember trying to figure out the, the perfect combination of chemicals for the absolute most amazing buzz. And wait, hold on. What's Spanish fly? Uh, it's like an aphrodisiac. So it's real. I don't know. Like, okay. I never, you, you mentioned it and I was like, yeah. okay, like, yeah. Yeah. you're, you're using Spanish fly. <laughs> It's basically Viagra. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, cause you said, you said you mentioned Spanish fly and then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can well, move on. I, I mean, I, I think Spanish fly was actually something from before my time. My, my era was, uh, Cialis and, and Viagra, which I did use. In, okay. In my day. So and it, it did sound I, like we stepped into a seven. I, I digress. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what else to Sorry, call it. I shouldn't move past that. We can just, <laughs> can just move really, past that. Just I thought so I was could, on an episode just, of Beavis and Butthead. Just so you guys know, Cameron was going to ask me if I could get him some. But, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the, I, the idea was to to get that perfect high, right? right? right and and yeah. it never happened. Yeah, um, we just keep chasing. It was always one or the other, and and all of them came with their own set of problems. Right. So, so my alcohol use, if I got too drunk, uh, I couldn't maintain my meth high or what would happen to me a lot of times too is, is I would switch and I would become, uh, violent, Mm. disconnected Mm. or blackout or Mm -hmm. angry. Mm -hmm. And so nobody wanted to be around that. So I had to try to maintain my, my, my alcohol intake. Uh, a lot of times too, if I was drunk, I would waste my drugs. Like, you know, I would, I would get, uh, overly ambitious and pour out too much out of the bag and fucking spill it or just give it away. My ego would kick in and Mm. be like, Oh, let's all get fucked up. And, and so I, I kind of agree with what you were saying is like, it was always kind of one or the other and, or, or moderate, right. You know, moderation. And so. Knowing I was ready, fuck, it came after a lot of arrests. Yeah, we man. have, yeah, we have to go through a lot, right? Like, yeah, we have, to, we have to experience a lot of pain, I think, before we get to that point. Yeah, and uh, and it takes what it takes, you know. Um, when we talk about the pain, you know, I think, I think that uh, along with pain is we we have to kind of expect fear, like. I think that there was a lot of fear of, of getting better, but there was, there was more fear of staying the same, mm. you know, like I, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine my life with, with drugs and alcohol anymore, but I also could not imagine it without, like, yeah. how am I ever going to not do this? 
um, I just hate, I hated myself so much. And one thing when you, that you were talking about is when you were, when you were talking about the perfect buzz. And by the way, I definitely had that too, where, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, it seems like two pills, a shot, a beer and a bowl. Like it's, it's good for me. Like that seems to be like the perfect combination. I like, right? I like how our voices change. You yeah. Know, when I talk, when I talk about the old me, when, when I get there, yeah. I'm okay. yeah. that's, I mean, <laughs> because that was a different person. Willie, yeah. So I had to break yeah. into character. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, like, you know, chasing that, like it, as I, as I recollect on that now, and as you were talking, I'm like, that's how, that's how uncomfortable we were with being us, yeah. with being ourselves. Like we were so uncomfortable that from the moment we woke up, we were like, okay, I've got to change the way I think immediately. Yeah. yeah. I've immediately got to just alter that state of mind because I don't know how to go through the day without some sort of head change. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's crazy to me to think about now in retrospect, but, but yeah, that, I mean, I mean, and that's, that's how each day was, but it got to the point where, where it was like, I don't know how to keep doing this. And I also don't know how to stop. Yeah. And I think that's for me, like when it became, when it became apparent that it was time, yeah. you know, and and one of the things about that too was was it becoming so evident that I was powerless that I actually you know made an attempt to not do it and I still did it. Yeah. And I was able to look at that and go, okay, like this isn't working. Yeah. It's just not working. Um, and so. And and James talked about it a lot in in his story, you know, and I could relate. Like uh, doing it so like like against so some drugs were okay with certain people and some drugs weren't right and so uh like having to hide certain things from certain people mm. in order in order to do it like instead of being able to just stop right th obviously there's a problem with that either i don't want to or i can't and and one leads to the other um when I, when I was young and I was running the streets and everything was good and I was still trying to figure out that perfect buzz, it was fun to wake up and wake and bake, right? Like that was part of my culture at the right. time. Yeah. And then, and then like I started getting older and started getting responsibilities and people started counting on me for certain things. And, and I would hear of people like being responsible, you know, like people that are like, we'd be partying on a Friday night or Saturday night. And I'd be like, you, you know, let's do the same thing again tomorrow. And they'd be like, I'm not partying tomorrow. It's Sunday. I got work. Right, yeah. And so I heard <coughs> these rumors of responsibility. <laughs> like, and and what it is got, this thing. Yeah. What is this mythical thing? <laughs> so, it's so, um, I would, I would like recognize that I needed to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, so, okay, so I need to, like, not party on a Saturday night. And I would make that that resolution to myself. Like, okay, so I'm not going to party on Sunday night so that I can get a job right. and, and make some money. And because of that, I'm not going to wake and bake. And then, like you said, I would I would party on Sunday night and fucking wake and bake. And, and then instead of going to work, go get more dope. Right. And, and 
when I was 18, that was kind of okay. But when I was 28 or 30 or 33, yeah. like, like the, the longer I was in that pattern of living, uh, the, the less okay it got and the more apparent it got that it was time for a change. Um, and like early on thinking that somehow I would be able to control it with my will alone, like that illusion had to be smashed. Uh, and it only got smashed through attempt after attempt after mm-hmm, attempt mm-hmm. after attempt to try to control, maintain, and moderate. You know, switch one for the other, give one up, only do the other, never bring this in the house, never take that out, only stay home on Sunday. Just so many different, yeah. so many yeah. different combinations of control and and failure, uh, and then having the same consequence over and over over and like yeah like i remember i remember going out and knowing that there was gonna be fucking problems (laughs) like knowing in advance like if i go out tonight if i go out there's gonna be fucking problems Mm -hmm. i'm probably gonna go to jail right knowing that and like trying to convince myself like i don't want to go to jail anymore i don't want another charge i don't i don't want to have to fucking sober up in the drunk tank going out anyway yeah and then fucking getting arrested just like i knew what was gonna happen exactly yeah it's it's crazy to me because like i i almost wonder if like on some sort of subconscious level if we if we know that in the back of our mind and we choose to do it anyways almost with this like hope that okay well like in in my case like i i know that i uh, i certainly did things like i took a handful of benadryl i've told this story before but you know i took a handful of benadryl it must have been like 30 benadryl and i remember thinking at the time like i don't think this will kill me but also like so what right yeah and and I also you know I wonder if like on some sort of subconscious level if like when you're when you're doing that if it's like well yeah maybe I will go to jail and then it will be over right uh, I think so yeah like I and 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 so same same thing with that like is where it's like if I take this handful of pills like it might not kill me but if it kills me like then it will be over yeah or or it'll be painful enough to finally ask for help or right yeah it'll so lead. I think that in those moments like we we know that like we're headed towards a disaster but we also know that it's got to end at some point yeah and you know like we continue that behavior until until it does i mean until it ends you yeah. know and yeah. so it's kind of interesting to think about yeah I, you know i you made me start thinking about so many experiences of hope that it was going to end <clears throat> and i i, I kind of remember becoming educated on addiction right and some some of the signs that you might be addicted to something <laughs> right and um i went to jail they brought uh narcotics anonymous meetings into the jail and and i went to an na meeting in the jail that was the first 12-step meeting i ever went to and i went in there to get out of my cell like other people right, were going right. and i was like fuck i'll go check it out and I went and checked it out and, and they were talking about the obsession and I still remember like what the panel looked like. I remember who was on the panel. I, I ended up getting to know those guys afterwards. 
um, late, you know, later on different attempts of sobriety sure. and, and, uh, like I got out of jail and I had this great resolve to, to, to not drink or use. And I remember walking into the legal tender in Evanston, the bar up there. And, and, uh, as I got to the bar, I remember the intention of not drinking, right? We were going to go up there and eat. And Don't you this love is these like, yeah. And I'm just I was going like, to go to the bar and not drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like 22 years old. Right. Uh, I had, hadn't had enough trouble at that point where I was so sober curious, if mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. Um, but I still thought that there was some way that I could will this. Like I, I had uh, the strength had to come from myself. Like I had, well, I can quit. I can handle this on my own or whatever. And I'm going to go up there and, and, and eat and I'm not going to drink. <laughs> right. And Your voice so, changed again. <laughs> so, yeah, because <laughs> I, I was an idiot. So I have to try to sound stupid. Um, but, I, you know, we went into the bar to the to the um, uh, restaurant side of the bar and sat down. And the first thing I ordered was a beer. Right. <laughs> and and I remember him bringing it and I was like, well, I'm just going to see this. Is, and it's crazy that oh, I can remember sure. like testing that I, yourself. That I can remember this, this, this well. But uh, I remember I was like, I'm just going to see uh, if I can just have one beer. And so I drank that one beer and then I ate and I left. And, and that was my first that, that I can remember. That was my first successful attempt of moderation mm -hmm. okay so you didn't Fo have any more that night Fo i didn't have i don't I, maybe i went back and blacked out because i don't remember okay <laughs> but i don't think i drank again that night but what i do remember is that within a week i was back in the dope oh shit <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> because the uh, like yeah like that experiment went so well obviously exactly. the next day well i can handle one yeah yeah I bet I can handle seven. Right. And, and I can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is that we are able to control it for the short instances. Yeah. Right. Like even James's story, he has a lot of moments where he quit cold Turkey for quit. however long. And, and those like for me, those instances only confirmed that I didn't have a problem, <laughs> right. which is funny, right? Like, yeah. no, 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 no. I actually quit for a minute, so I must be fine. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm obviously not an there's, addict. Yeah. There's some practice that, yeah. I'm, that I'm not, that I need to figure out. There's some combination I need to figure out here. Because, yeah. 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 Because it can be done. I can, I can absolutely just not use. So if I can, if I can successfully quit at all, then I can probably successfully dabble too. Yeah. And that didn't work out. Yeah. That was, yeah, that mean, was a bullshit lie because uh, you know, we're, we're addicts and alcoholics like that. The illusion of control is just that mm -hmm. it's the illusion yep. of control. We, we have this and the great desire of every alcoholic is to be able to drink and get away with it. Right. To mm -hmm. be able to use and get away with it, to, to be that depiction of the person uh, in the movie that goes out for, you know, goes on Christmas vacation and fucking lets it all hang out yeah, and then comes home and back to business as normal. Right. right? It doesn't, doesn't bring the, 
the party back with them, but that's not the reality for no, us. No, never, it never worked that way. Uh, one, one is too many and a thousand is never going to be enough. Mm. And so uh, after enough of those attempts, right, it seems like the uh, the desire to control gets less and less, right? The, the faith in ourselves. Cause, cause back then, like, like when I did that first experience, I'm thinking, you know, I think I had a lot of confidence that I could pull it off. And by the last time I was in jail, I fucking knew that I couldn't pull it off. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I, I knew that moderation and control was not something I was going to be able to pull yeah. off because there had been, you know, 10 or 11 years of of attempts between that first beer that I was just talking about and the last time uh, when this this stretch of sobriety had started there had been 11 years because I think like I said I think I was 22 uh, at that that particular time yeah and I was 33 mm-hmm. when I got sober this last time and so uh, the evidence was was abundant that I had no, absolutely no control, personal strength, mm-hmm. like, like no strength of will was going to keep me sober on yeah. my own. Yeah. The willpower thing. Um, I think that it, it, uh, yeah, it, it has to become evident through whether it's, um, whether it's, uh, you know, the failed attempts to quit the trouble with the law, the financial stuff that can happen you know, all these things, it, it, it has to become evident that we, that we are powerless. Like, and sometimes that's hard to see. Like it, sometimes it takes other people pointing it out to me. Um, and I have to also simultaneously be in a space where I'm ready to hear it. You know, yeah. um, did you ever have any like loved ones express concern, um, in a way that you, you would hear it? Um, that kind of led to any, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it, you know, it's funny the the first person that came to mind was a cop. Really? Yeah. Because, mm. uh, not exactly a loved one. No. Yeah. I think, I think, I think he did care about me because, well, sure. Because, you know, and like in James story, I could really relate with the amount of trouble as a youth, right? Because for everybody that's been listening for a long time, you know, that I had a very troubled youth. Yeah. And, um, so age 22, I try to control it. Age 24, I get arrested for, uh, in a sting operation and I'm facing prison time for conspiracy to deliver methamphetamines. And, and when I got arrested, I got arrested in my parents' backyard and, and, um, there had been a wire worn, there were warrants out. Like it was, it was, a it was a whole thing. Like mm-hmm. they, they were bringing down the hammer. On, I love it. on this whole drug ring that we were and um the the cop that the arresting officer that that took me out to the jail he took the long way to the jail and mm. and he and he expressed to me he's like like Willie you know this is getting out of hand like, so so had had you talked with him before like uh he had arrested me several okay. times but it was it was more of a cat and mouse kind of thing it seemed like sure but you guys had like some rapport <laughs> we we had some to experiences okay. together yeah. yeah and uh you know he would chase and I would run and I would hide and he would seek such as yeah. the role of a yeah. police officer yeah. and a criminal and uh, uh this time he said you know like this this is the serious shit and it's 
Like we know, we know where you've been getting it in the city. We know who, you know, how much you've been bringing in. We know everywhere that you've been. He goes, this is all getting fucking serious. Like, and if it doesn't stop, you're going to fucking die or kill somebody. Like, like he had this, Mm. this real heart to heart with me and I went into jail and, and from there I, I ended up going into treatment and, and really getting into a 12 step program for the first time. I stayed sober for three years, you know, and, and, and by the time I got out of, of, by the time I relapsed after all of that, Mm -hmm. um, the illusion of control had been broken. Yeah. You know, I had enough education through other people's experience and my own experience and the treatment program, the information that they gave me that, that, uh, you know, I, I went into treatment and I didn't want to get sober. Yeah. Oh yeah. When I right. went into treatment that time, right. I remember thinking that I was just going to drop my fucking addiction at the door and in 30 or 60 or 90 days, I was going to pick it back up and fucking continue on. But the, the ladies in there did enough work on me that, uh, through that, that 90 days, that 120 days I was in there, I became ready mm-hmm. for a taste of sobriety. And sure. that's what I got. And after I lost it, I, I sought it. That's what I, that's what I wanted. And then it got worse and worse and worse until I got sober this last time, but I knew it was time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what I like about that is that, you know, the action was kind of forced upon you and you made me think about when I, cause I entered a treatment program as well. And it was sort of something that a loved one had more or less strong armed me into. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, I honestly couldn't tell you if like I had planned on using again, you know, like going in there. Um, I don't know what I expected, but I did, I did think that, uh, you know, at some point this I wasn't prepared to say that I was done forever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And are you now? Well, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah I absolutely. Um, but then in, you know, in this treatment program, like as, as time progressed and as we did the work and we were able to look at things, um, in a way that, that made it very clear just how bad it was and how powerless I was. Um, I did become ready, you yeah. know, so, so I think that maybe the lesson to take from that is, is that, you know, maybe don't, maybe we don't expect to be ready right off the bat. Like maybe yeah. willingness comes before the readiness, right? Like I'm willing to let others yeah. help me in, in a hope that, uh, that, you know, I will eventually be ready. Yeah. Um, because you may never be ready but you may be willing yeah and it uh, to be fair it's never a great time to get sober like yeah it's never <laughs> like if, maybe if i wait after till yeah, after christmas yeah. next week or, so next week right. will be perfect because then i'll have it, it, it and it's funny the way that we will create these illusionary responsibilities as fucking addicts and alcoholics like well i can't get sober today because i have a fucking a house payment right that i haven't paid for (laughs) what Uh, yeah you know i can't i can't go into treatment now i'll i'll lose my car all right 
I'm going to fucking lose anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always think about like, well, what about so-and-so's wedding or what about yeah. you know, all these other, all these other instances down the road where it's like, I, I don't know how to exist in this situation without drugs or alcohol. Well, it's like, you know what? Like I didn't know how to exist in day to day without drugs or alcohol. Yeah. So like if I can get through the day to day, um, then I can probably navigate those situations when they come. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, the one thing that I learned and that I really, really appreciated, um, in those early days of recovery was breaking it down to one day at a time. It's like, yeah. you know, that shit in the future, like you worry about that shit then, like now is now today is today. And why don't you just focus on getting through the rest of the yeah. day? Um, you know, and, and I needed that. I needed to hear that because like I said, forever was such a hard concept for me. Like, you mean I gotta be done forever? Like, yeah. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Um, but I could, you know, think about like, okay, like I can probably get through, you know, today, today I, um, I can probably get through this meeting. Yeah. I can mm -hmm. probably get through this dinner. Yeah. 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 I get through this family reunion. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Being able to break it down that way was so crucial for me, yeah. um, in those early days. I think, um, you know, another, another good way is you were, you were explaining that. I think another good way if you're wondering if you're ready or not, like for me, uh, thinking about getting sober more than thinking about, like I would be getting high mm. and wishing that I wasn't getting high. Mm, yeah. Like, like yeah. the, the obsession to get clean and sober, uh, became, uh, all the time. Like it was mm. fucking all the time. And you know, towards the end of this last one, me and Avery would talk about it. Uh, we, well, we would talk about when the time was right, <laughs> but the desire was there. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, like we, you know, especially when we fucking ran out of dope, which wasn't very often and wasn't for very long. But um, be go on a go on a three day sleep or whatever, and just be like, I fucking this fuck this. Yeah, sucks. Yeah, dude, I mean, Let's just get clean. Isn't it so funny to think about like these situations? Because I, I for sure had those situations where I couldn't get whatever it was that I was after. And it's like, no, like it was, it was clear that I needed to quit. And I even had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to quit. Right. But I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> it's so funny to think about now, but I didn't want to quit because I ran out. I wanted to quit on my own accord. Yeah. So it's like when I ran out, that was not a point where I would be like, well, I guess I'll just quit then. It was like, no, <laughs> fuck that. Like, I want to have five of them in my hand, five of pills in my hand and be able to say, I'm quitting now. Yeah, like, I'm done. You know what I mean? Have that, have that. But I didn't want to feel like I was forced into it. What, because I what is it, out. a Grammy? Uh, like, what? what is that moment in movies that you get an award, like a... Like a an, an Oscar? Oscar? An, yeah. an Oscar-winning moment. Yeah, yeah. You, fucking throw it out right, the window dude. and yeah and fucking you like, know how it is for me oh, like throw your hand down and then and then the new story begins and yeah and you I'm become like this fucking on a treadmill hero. like <laughs> lifting weights and yeah. fucking turns into a rocking montage <laughs> yeah i mean uh, that's the imagination of of us addicts right it's so true it's so true and then you know one of the one of the biggest things for me too was like having having those people 
in my life that like were kind of supposed to love me unconditional. Like it felt like they were washing their hands. Setting boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, like my, my mom specifically, I remember just, you know, her like starting to sort of distance herself or say, I can't help you. And, and it was like sort of this like wake up call, like, wait a minute, what? Like things are that bad. Like Mm. what, but, but I'm your son, you know, like, and just having these moments where it was like, uh, okay. If mom has set this boundary, then, then there might be an issue, you know? Um, cause mom always buys my bullshit. Yeah. You know, so it's always manipulatable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's I can funny. relate with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that reminded me of when my sister, Jesse called the cops on me and Avery were taking a shower at my parents' house when they were out of town and she called the cops. She's like, you can't be here. They're tired of your shit. And I was like, you fucking call the cops on me. Yeah. Who's that? Oh, I can imagine that being a doozy course of course i was mad at her well yeah why would she do that what a jerk <laughs> yeah your brother you didn't do anything to deserve that yeah, your brother yeah, but well it's funny like how i don't know like we have those experiences yeah 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 and i expected such sympathy you know from from people who with without granting <laughs> any sort of sympathy in exchange right like no like i want you to feel sorry for me obviously i'm going through this shit and it's like yeah you also stole $150 from me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why am I going to feel sorry for you? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I like, do. F- and they do feel sorry for us. Right, right, right. The, the people that love us do have a concern while at the same time uh, are, are fed up with our shit, right? And, and it's funny the way you put that because it's so, we're so blinded mm-hmm. by... Mm-hmm. you know our selfishness yeah. it's just and that's and that's ultimately what it is we're just blinded by the selfish nature of this disease that we can't see past our own action and and this idea that like no no if if you knew the right. amount of desire i have to not be this way which was exactly what you said the amount of desire was i want to quit on my own terms right. that was the amount of fucking desire right. until until action was taken, right? Until we were in treatment and we were getting fucking sober. Mm-hmm. And the, the you know, and if you could just see my true intention, then you wouldn't feel this way about me. But I had already pissed all over the fucking... Fuck, I was, I, I was given far past the amount of respect I deserved. Oh, yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I remember one of those things, too, was like, my my dad who i don't know my dad might have let it go on a little bit longer than it did you know um but my dad's wife um my stepmother who uh you know i she had said something um while we were having dinner and it was totally legit totally like understandable to understand why she's you're, saying something you're right but also yeah. fuck you well because what was happening is like my dad's now in this new relationship and so when he gives me money he's giving me their money right you know? like it's not just his money anymore it's their money and she's not my mother she has no biological connection and she has a right to say something mm-hmm. like this is her money you know 
And, uh, and so, you know, she said something and it was just like, I think it was then that I realized that, it, you know, like while I could justify borrowing money from him because I'm his son and that's maybe his obligation as a parent to a child, like I could not justify money coming from her, yeah. you know? And it was like, okay, like this is, you know, yeah, all these moments, all these, all yeah, these, they, all these things like that we're talking about, they're all sort of these, these great indications that, that maybe now is a, a good time. <laughs> maybe now I'm ready. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, you know, the best, the best, um, example or the best demonstration of me being ready is I start doing the work. Mm-hmm. I, I take the action. Well, you know, James talked about being in jail and specifically uh, knowing he was ready. And, and I can relate with that because the last time I was in jail, I was entirely ready. And, mm-hmm. and I could prove that by, you know, I, I traded a honey bun for a big book. You know, I connected with people in recovery outside the jail so that when I got out, I would have a place to go. And then when I did get out, I continued with that action and that kind of stuff. Right. Like, yeah, you're, you're ready enough to take the action. Right. Yeah. And recognizing that action is the only, is the only thing to do. Yeah. Action must be taken. And generally it's, it's going to be somebody else's idea, not mine, because my <laughs> ideas, <laughs> the Oscar moment, my ideas didn't work, dude. Yeah. Like even these, you know, drastic attempts, like, I don't say drastic, dramatic, it's more of the word, um, dramatic attempts to quit for me in my Oscar moments, um, were disastrous. <laughs> absolutely. They were pretty short lived. Oh man. They were, they were absolutely, uh, crazy and, and disastrous. So like, somebody else, you know, mentions like a treatment center and I'm like, eh, you know, it doesn't sound very dramatic. Like whatever, I'll figure it yeah. out. I'll do it myself, you know? And then it, you know, becomes clear enough and evident enough that it's like, okay, whatever, yeah. whatever you say. Yeah. Man. I just don't know. Yeah. I, I obviously don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. So, you know, in my case, I had to surrender to the help that was being offered. Thank God. Yeah, truly, truly, um, absolutely. Um, so I think that's a good, uh, it's a good segue into James's story. He talks a little bit about God and he talks about uh, a lot of, a lot of really great things. Um, crazy to hear his story from then until now, you guys are going to get a lot out of it, I think. So what do you say? You ready? Yeah. Ready guys? Ready at home? Let me hear you say ready. (laughs) All right, well, ready or not, here it comes. This is James's story. This week's war story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash Coffee has your back no matter what your poison. Right now, you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OTHERSIDE at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your bean with Brainwash. And without further ado, here is this week's horror story. So, my name is James Ingram, and I'm a Mexican-American. 
uh, drug addict and alcoholic for most of my life. Um, how it started, I only got 20 minutes, so we'll have to do the condensed stuff. Um, I remember my first drink. Uh, I was at a friend of a family's wedding. I was only seven, maybe almost eight years old. And uh, there was two different punches, you know, one for the adults and one for the kids. And uh, I've always had that rebellious spirit that um, drew me over to the adult punch. Um, I remember two or three glasses in and next thing you know, I'm in the back seat of the car. Um, my older siblings are all making fun of me and giving me all this attention and picking on me. My parents are laughing at me and I was in love instantly. Um, I, I loved the feeling. Um, I loved the attention that I was getting. Um, and from then on out, uh, I was sneaking drinks of open beers or, sneaking into the kitchen closet and stealing my dad's vodka and trying to replace it with water um, for the next, oh, six years or so. Um, about five, well, about five years. Um, then I started smoking pot. Um, I was the youngest of all my kids, uh, or all the kids born in uh, 1981, April of 1981. Um, I was what my parents like to call their greatest mistake, because uh, I definitely was not planned. My siblings were all six to 10 years older than me. Um, so I was always kind of like the third wheel being drug along places. Um, my parents had their own company. So even though they were present, uh, they weren't really around that much. Um, my, my siblings did a lot of my raising uh, of the raising of me when I was a kid. Um, so, yeah, 11. 11 years old or so, I'm, I'm smoking pot, I'm sneaking booze as much as humanly possible for an 11 year old. Um, and my older brother was like my hero. Um, he was just everything. He never complained about dragging me along to places or anything like that. Um, so I'm 11 years old, uh, getting ready to turn 12 in a couple of months. And um, me and my brother get in this huge fight and I'm like, look, motherfucker, I wish I could just kill you. And he's like, Oh, step up little man, take your best shot. And, and I was like, no, just one bullet is all it would take. And, uh, the next day I woke up, went to school and I got pulled out of school and, uh, my dad was outside waiting for me and informed me that my brother had shot himself that night. So I, uh, I carried that weight with me for a lot of years, a lot of years until, until I started really facing myself. And, and, uh, but, uh, so shortly after that, um, I'm over at a friend's house, you know, we're smoking weed, we're drinking and he busts out this light bulb and he's like, man, you got to try this shit. And that was the first time I was introduced to methamphetamine. And once again, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I was in love all over again, uh, from the, from the very get go, you know, I thought I was outgoing and, and, uh, a personable guy on alcohol and weed and stuff. But man, this, this really brought me out into the public eye. You know, I felt like I could do anything on this stuff. And so that's what I did that, that became my new thing. Um, 
was trying to get in back then I'm, I'm getting pretty old back then. It was just crank, you know, peanut butter and lemon drop crank. Um, so I'm getting a pretty bad habit, uh, at just the age of 13 years old. I'm stealing, um, I'm sneaking into my be parents' bedroom at night to jack money out of their wallet or steal change out of their change jar or take stuff and, and try to trade it. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. So, um, I got hooked up with, with a guy that, that, uh, started giving me some to sell. Um, so I'm 14 years old and I'm slinging crank out of my parents' basement window. Um, back then they didn't have the convenience of buying baggies. So I'd have to steal my parents' magazines and chop them into bindles. Um, all the old folks will remember that. Um, but a bindle was like a little envelope that you made out of, you know, waxed covered paper because they didn't sell baggies in stores back then. They just didn't. Um, so yeah, here I am 14 years old. I'm slinging a crank out my parents' basement window. Um, I'm starting to come into all this money. I'm starting to come into all this attention because I got the dope and, uh, that's what it was all about. You know, I didn't, I never fit in. I, I mean, I fit in, but I fit in everywhere because I was just wearing whatever mask I needed to, to get that attention that I needed. Um, but yeah, so I loved it. I loved the attention. I loved the rush. Um, I loved everything about it. I, I was hooked from day one. So let's see. Let, let's go. Well, I should mention, I should back up and mention that I started drinking at seven and I caught my first case at eight years old, um, breaking into a federal storage facility. Um, they had all kinds of stuff in there, including a bunch of gum gumballs, which I loaded up my camouflage army coat with gumballs and led a trail of gumballs back to my parents' house. So <laughs> two days later, I had Davis County sheriffs, uh, Clinton city police and military police at my door. And that was my first, my first charge, um, was, breaking and entering and burglary of a government facility. So um, drunk at seven in juvie by eight. Um, should have seen a sign then, but I didn't. Um, I caught more charges. Um, I was in state's custody by the time I was 14 years old, um, but got released back to my parents' care. Um, but I was technically a ward of the state uh, because I kept catching uh, either possession charges or shoplifting charges or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I'm still slinging this prank, making money. I got pagers that, that I'm lying to my parents about and saying, Oh, my friend's parents bought them for us and is paying the bill. And I'm just creating all these lies and, and, and still doing all this mischievous stuff. Um, so 16 comes around, I get, popped with marijuana at Clearfield High. Um, I get kicked out. I get sent to safe schools. I was the first year of safe schools. Um, it was me, four other guys, and two rotating teachers with police supervision in the Planned Parenthood portables up by Mountain High. Um, I did great in there. I, I excelled because it was personal attention from the teachers. Um, so um, I get out of that. Um, I did not complete probation successfully. They unsuccessfully terminated me. And my caseworker was like, I'll see you at the prison. And I'm like, 
you will. Um, I get let back into Clearfield High and I get pulled out of debate class, actually, because it was one of the only credits that I needed was uh, was a electional or a elective English and debate counted for that. And um, I get pulled out by Officer Guy and Chetta, and I got arrested for distribution of methamphetamine and cocaine at Clearfield High. Um, I'm 17 years old. They wanted to charge me as an adult. Um, so I was looking at two first degree felonies and a whole handful of other charges. Um, and so my dad fortunately got me an attorney. It's one time uh, as a kid that my dad really got involved in me being in trouble. He got me an attorney. They got a kickback down to juvenile court. Thank God. Um, otherwise, I'd probably just barely be getting out of prison right now. Um, so, um, so yeah, 17, 18, uh, more of the same. I obviously left Clearfield high, went and got my, my GED. Um, so 19, the rave scenes on and popping. There we go. So, um, yeah, froze, I got married and divorced real quick. You froze for a second at the rave scene. Oh. Okay, yeah. So, rave scene, and I met this girl, um, got married a year later to the day, got divorced even quicker than that. Um, so, here I am. I'm stuck with this condo. I'm stuck with these two new cars. Um, and... I just, I went right back out to what I knew best, uh, which was the dope game. And uh, next thing you know, there's graffiti all over the walls of my condo. Um, it's four or five years later, I'm getting kicked out. Um, so I'm homeless for a little bit. I lose my job at my, at my parents' business. Um, so I finally sober up long enough to uh, get my job back, get out of my parents' basement because they let me come back in there. And uh, I got a little house in Roy, and I did good there for a little while, too. Um, you know, five, six months, maybe. Um, not working a program, just trying to, you know, white knuckle that shit. Um, so, like I said, five, six months later, I'm into it. I'm feeling like I've made it. I've got this handled. So, you know, a little bit's not going to hurt. Uh, one more, one, one time on the weekend, you know, I'll just, I'll just get a 20 or a 40 bag and I'll be straight. I'll be good. I'll be fine to go in on, go into work on Monday. Um, uh, I'm like a magician. I can, I can turn a six pack of beer into an eight ball like that. Um, so, um, so here I am mid twenties, no direction in my life. I just, I get up, I go to work, I come home. I smoke dope and I get drunk so I can go to sleep. Um, that's about it. Um, let's see. We've been at this not too long. Okay. So 30 comes along. Um, I reconnect with the woman of my dreams. Um, I'm still at this house in Roy. Um, this is the first time in my life that, that I really had the desire to, to quit using. Um, 
So she had some disabilities and stuff. Uh, she actually had two strokes and was learning how to walk and talk and chew food and stuff all, all over again. And her family was able, unable to help her. So I just moved her in with me. Um, I tried to keep the meth and every, everything away from her. I openly smoked pot and drank and, and everything else, but I tried to keep the meth away from her because she had never been exposed to that kind of stuff before. Um, but even with two strokes, she's not an idiot. Um, you know, when somebody comes up and drops a bag of dope right in your lap when she's sitting next to you, the, the gig's kind of up. Plus, you know, there's no reason to be on your roof for two hours at 3 a.m. That just, That's just not shit that normal people do. So it was pretty obvious that I had a drug problem. Um, so we're getting pretty darn serious. Um, she has three beautiful children um, that I very much wanted to meet and um she's like look i cannot bring you around my children if you know you're going to be using meth and, and stuff and and so um i quit i quit everything i quit drinking i quit smoking cigarettes i quit the dope um we end up getting pregnant um so here i am i went from this swinging bachelor now i've got a lady I've got three step kids and a baby on the way. So I went from this swinging bachelor to a family of six. Um, I got us, got us a place in Ogden, um, right on 32nd and Ogden Avenue, actually. So I don't know if people are familiar with Ogden, but um, we called that place the click because it is right in the middle of the hood. Um, it is that that is uh, every house around ours caught bullets. It was it's pretty pretty rough little neighborhood between Ogden and Porter there. Um, so I'm doing great really. Um, but still no real recovery, no support system, no therapy, no, none of that. I'm just white knuckling it because I've got to do it for, for the lady and the baby and three step kids. And I did good for a year. Um, I did really good for a year. No cigarettes, no nothing. Um, so it's my very first father, Father's Day with my own biological son. And about a week before that, I let the stress of everything get to me. You know, I've got a disabled lady. I've got uh, four kids now. Um, and, you know, I, I'm trying to grind as hard as I could. And I just couldn't find that extra energy. And it popped into my head. Hey, I know where I can get some extra energy. So I met up with one of my boys and started using again. And um, so it's my very first Father's Day with my actual own biological son, my first, you know, real Father's Day. And uh, I get woken up with my wife holding my shorts. I had a stash spot in the zipper part of my shorts um, where I'd hidden a pipe in a bag. And uh, and she's like, you know what? I don't know why everybody always feels like they they have to hide this for me and lie to me about this. She's like, I'm going to use it. And I'm like, the hell you are. Um, that is, uh, you're, that's dancing with the devil. Like you are talking about holding hands with the devil right there. I said, you are using it. And uh, she kept talking and talking about it. And, and then in the back of my twisted ass attic mind, I'm like, hey, if I get her high, I can start getting high openly, like we can use together. It'll be great. I'm just going to ruin this beautiful woman's life with methamphetamines. 
And uh, that's exactly what I did. Um, she didn't like it the first time. And so, you know, what? I was like, okay, baby, I'm going to go get some better dope. And uh, I was just being so greedy and selfish in that moment. Um, it's one of the worst things that I've ever done. And I've lit a person's house on fire um, because I'm not a big man. But when people did not pay up, um, my favorite means of collection was to get another bigger guy. We'd go in the house and I would have a torch of map gas going and either a bottle of kerosene or lighter fluid or whatever. And I would just start hosing down the house with kerosene. And because uh, not a lot of people are afraid of a 115 pound tweaker, but turns out most people are afraid of burning to death. So um, and one time and it wasn't even a big debt. Um, I don't even remember the amount less than five hundred dollars. Um, the guy didn't have anything worth taking and he didn't have the money. And I lit his house on fire. Um, thank God uh, everybody got out. Um, but I destroyed all of that man's memories, everything that he had it was a complete loss. Um, um, so, so yeah, I've done some horrible things and they really started, um, with this beautiful woman that, that had brought me into her life. Um, so now we're both using hard, we lose our house, we lose our son. Um, my sister adopts him. Um, like, we lost everything. We're homeless. We're living in our truck. Um, I'm doing things that I used to fuck people up for. You know, I'm putting my hands on my lady. I was violent around my stepchildren. Um, I'm just doing horrible things that, you know, I couldn't even look in a mirror anymore. Couldn't, couldn't stand myself anymore. I didn't even like walking by windows to glance and look at myself. Um, I had allowed myself and all of my defects of character to just explode onto the world because of my anger and my fear of everything. Um, so let's see, I'm a mid thirties now, try to move away from my problems. Um, uh, well, I'm about 34, try to move away from my problems and go out to Vernal, Utah. Um, actually I was 33 when I got out there. So, uh, go out to Vernal. Once again, I get sober, white knuckling it. Um, I have my own business. I'm teaching gospel principles in church. Um, I'm just out there killing it. Like, um, and once again, I think I got this, you know, I can have a beer or two, you know, and I did for damn near a year. Um, uh, I did, well, shit, I was so straight sober for about a year. And then I started having the beer or two. Um, but then one day came that I had three or four. And as soon as I had that buzz, as soon as I had that buzz, I was at the liquor store. And within two weeks, I was doing dope runs from Ogden to Vernal. Um, so, and that that's just how quick it is for me. I never thought I was an alcoholic. Um, until I realized that pretty much every single one of my relapses had begun with a drink. Um, so we just started spiraling out of control again. You know, um, the only thing that I maintained out there in Vernal was my company. Um, but everything else in my life had gone to shit. I lost my wife. 
Um, kids don't talk to me. My father-in-law's got a protective order on me. My stepkids got a protective order on me. Um, everything had gone to shit. My parents don't want to see me or talk to me. Uh, getting locked up and arrested again, you know, possessions and paraphernalias and domestic assaults and aggravated assault. And, and uh, it's horrible. Um, so I, I'm in Uinta County Jail. And uh, I, I finally looked in a mirror uh, for the first time in a long time. And I was like, look, man, something has got to change. I'm too chicken shit to pull the trigger and kill myself. And I'm too scared to live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this. So I did my time. I got out and I got my ass into Valley Camp. Um, it's a beautiful place up in Liberty, Utah. Um, it's a 12-step program. I never thought in my life out of all, because I've done every court order program imaginable, um, I never thought I would have found my answers in the 12 steps, but I got up to camp and I got honest with myself and honest with others for the very first time in probably my entire adult life. Um, sometimes I think too honest, like my wife would ask me questions like, did you really sleep with that bitch? And I, yes, I did. And then I'm like, oh, did that I thought I was going to take that shit to the grave but no you have to get brutally honest with yourself um I worked those steps like my life depends on it because it did um because at the end there it, it was a roller coaster of heroin and methamphetamines heroin methamphetamines heroin methamphetamines over and over and over again um I was 113 pounds when I went into jail um I had to spend two weeks in 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 the detox and the medical um, before I could even get back to a pod, it was ugly. Um, so yeah, I got to Valley Camp and uh, thank God for that place, man. Thank God for the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I never thought I'd become one of them AA bobbleheads, but now I'm in meetings like, yep, yep I completely understand. Fucking A. Yeah, I feel that, bro. Um, uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life because it made me understand that I am mentally and physically different from people who can just drink regularly. I have an allergic reaction whenever I get inebriated in any way, shape or form. As soon as I get a buzz, I have to have more and I will do whatever it takes to get more. Um, but through working the 12 steps, I was able to realize that all that aggression and anger and violence um, was all fear-based. Um, everything came out of fear, fear of failure, fear of success, um, just fear of everything. I came off as this crazy violent person because I couldn't let people see the man that I really was. Um, I worked a thorough fourth step. I laid everything out on my fifth step. Um, I made my amends as I was directed to whenever I got the opportunity except to my family. As soon as I got out of camp, I was like, I know you've heard me say, I'm sorry a million times. So I want to let you know that um, I'm going to make these amends to you, but I want some more recovery under my belt before I do this. And so I waited until I was just over a year sober to make my amends to my mom and dad and sisters. Um, um, it's a beautiful thing. Now I am part of a wonderful organization, uh, SJS. Um, work those steps and turn around and give it back to somebody else. I sponsor people. 
Um, I live this recovery lifestyle because it, it is a lifestyle and it's a beautiful lifestyle. Um, I've got my wife back. I've got my kids back. Um, I've got the father-in-law that had a protective order on me. We're now his power of attorney. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I owe everything to God and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Absolutely. 100%. I believe God led me to Valley Camp to lead me back to God. Um, as a matter of fact, the day after I got out of rehab, I hadn't seen my wife in over a year. Um, and I run into her on 27th in Washington. And last time I seen her, she was in Vernal all fucked up. And, and so was I. I. I almost ran her over with a truck for hell's sakes. Um, you know, um, and then I see her as soon as I get out and she's going into Tranquility House the next day. And so I was like, you know what? I'm, we're still married and I'm about this recovery life now. I'll, I will support you while you're in there. But if you're not about this, when we get out, you know, I'm sorry, but you got to go. Um, my recovery absolutely 100% comes first. It comes before my children. It comes before my wife. It only comes second to God. And because I only have this recovery because of God. Um, so, and my recovery date is December 8th of 2018. So uh, I'll be, Lord willing, I'll be hitting four years here in a couple of months, you know. Um, and, and I used hard for 26 years of my life. Um, I, I forgot to mention uh, my parents own a large fertilizing and weed control company in Northern Utah. So most of the time when I got my dope, when I was younger, it was because I was licensed to buy and apply pesticides and chemicals. So I would buy red phosphorus and anhydrous ammonia and take it out to the cooks. And uh, so when I say I went hard, it was, it was ugly and it was rough. Um, yeah, I was dealing with a lot of shady people and that's why I felt like I had to be that violent guy. Um, I felt like I had to put on that persona because I wasn't going to let myself look weak and be taken advantage of in that. And uh, I don't have to live that way these days. I get to love people. I get to love everybody, whether they're using or not, whether, you know, and, and it's beautiful. I get to be me for the first time in my life. And I actually like me today. I, I can look at myself in the mirror every day now and say you know what you did good today and on the days when i don't do so good i get to use those principles of alcoholics anonymous and go back and say hey look man i apologize i messed up um how can i correct this situation with you like what do i need to do to make this work um so if you're questioning whether you want to get sober you probably do if you're questioning whether you can, I know you absolutely can because I did it. Um, find a meeting, find a therapist, find whatever works for you and hold on to it for your life. Because this disease of alcohol, alcoholism and addiction wants to fucking kill us. Um, thank you for your time. That, that's about all I got. Whatever it takes, man. Find yeah. whatever works for you. I love that. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're wondering if you want to get sober, you probably do. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And yeah. If you, if you're wondering if you can, yes. I love that. Yeah. It's a, great. 
the whole uh, if I can do it, you can do it thing, like it it may get under underplayed sometimes, but I think people don't realize the uh, the seriousness behind that statement. Like this is somebody who never thought they could get sober, yeah. who was just as hopeless and lost as as somebody who may be sober curious. And here he is today. You here know, he is today, sober, um, sober. Yeah. So, just remember. I, I love I love getting stories from locals here because you know we see each other at meetings. You know we're we're uh, all in in our area. We're all familiar with Valley Camp. What a what a fucking awesome resource for mm-hmm. the people that are in this area. Um, and we we'll go up there. Uh, I usually will will go up there when I have a milestone. I'll go up to Valley Camp with my chip and. It's helped so many people. We've had several people on the show that that got sober up in Valley Camp, and um, you know, seeing these people around, like uh, in meetings, we hear uh, what their ex- their their recovery experience is really, mm-hmm. but not necessarily what their life story had been, right? What, um, what their experience that led them into recovery is and, and being able to see them in person and then hear the story is along with it is just, it's such an honor to be on this side of the table with so many wonderful people. And, yeah. And the recovery here is great. And, and James is, is a great example and he's a great resource for the people in our area. So, and what a, what a hardcore fucking story, man. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. What it reminds me is that, you just never know someone's history by looking at them, you yeah. know, like, because you're absolutely right. We get to see these people all the time in meetings, but we don't know everything that they've been through. Um, and then when we hear it, it's just like this whole sort of new level of admiration for yeah. where they're at today. Um, and his story was, was definitely up there as far as, uh, some of the more crazy. Yeah. Um, Hearing that he was like selling meth at fourteen, yeah, you know, it's just fourteen. If you, if you look at a fourteen year old now, like you're like, fuck, yeah, <laughs> it's a baby. It's you know, and he got and his he first charge at eight. Yeah, yeah, it's eight crazy. Years old. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm, it's yeah. pretty. It's pretty amazing. It's, uh, his brother dying was obviously a major impact in on his life and. And the, the, you know, as, as we go through and we become more and more involved with our disease and the lifestyle, because that's really what we do. We become involved with a lifestyle Mm -hmm. and the more selfish we get, you know, it's, it's funny that like he was talking about when, when his wife found his meth pipe, um, you know, he's, he put in all that work to protect her from his disease he, to protect her from the meth part of his disease only to feed that to her so that yep. he could more indulge openly yep. like no more he doesn't have to hide it anymore and and the fucking you go off the rails man and yep. and so uh him being able to reconnect with her the way that he did and and you know bring this whole thing together and, and become a family and a unit mm-hmm. and a recovery couple and, and, and all that. It's just, like you said, it's, it's admirable. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Truly amazing. And, and, uh, I think hearing, hearing, you know, what it took for him to, to finally become ready is a reminder that it takes what it takes. Yeah. And, uh, and that 
that everything that builds up to that point is not in vain um, because everything for me had to happen the way that it did in order for me to finally be ready to get sober. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in James's case, in your case, in my case, like I'm just grateful. And I think, you know, I, I definitely do think in my case that it is a power greater than myself that, um, that got me to a point where I was ready yeah. and I was open-minded and willing enough. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I'm grateful for everything that led up to that point. For sure. And I can't thank you enough. Yeah. James, thanks man. For sharing that. That was amazing. And yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. I get so much out of this. This has been a great conversation. Uh, you know, I, I always appreciate going down memory road and, and being able to see, how far we've come yeah and share that with you and our audience and so thank you for letting me be here yeah as, as we wind down mm. Mm. these episodes sounds the sad studio. let's just not be sad about it it's fine yeah well, we're great. not we're not ending the show yeah we're not ending the show it's just that's kind of what i think when you when you say that <laughs> and i get all sad in my face about it we're not ending the show we're just ending this space okay so when we wind down in this space, it's fine. In your face. Okay, let's get out of here. Let's go. Um, all right, everybody, thank you for your support. <laughs> uh, remember, there is a, a ton of recovery resources uh, in the show notes. So please, if you find yourself with any problems or questions, uh, feel free to refer to those or send us an email. We're more than happy to, to help in any way we can. And, uh, and I don't know. That's it. That's all we got. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Rylan. Um, And remember, everybody, you are worth the worst. We'll see you on the other side. Dang, that sounded like Satan. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.